Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Nature Friendly Farming Network podcast with me, Will Evans, and my younger, better looking, and more talented co host, <laughs> Ben Eagle. See how nice I am to you, Ben? Um, today, <laughs> we're delighted to be heading up north beyond the wall to the northeast of Scotland, Aberdeenshire, to be precise, to talk to first generation farmer, grazier, NFN Scotland steering group member, and agroforestry enthusiast Nikki Yoxall. Nikki, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, yes. thanks for the invite. Oh, it's great to have you on. Um, yes, as regular listeners to this series will know, um, every episode we're concentrating on a different part of NFN's Rethink Farming Report. And this week, it's all about agroforestry, um, which we'll come on to in more detail shortly. But as Will has just mentioned, um, Nikki, you're a first generation farmer. Um, which still isn't that common uh, for many different reasons. But perhaps you could start by telling us about your background and, and how you got to where you are now. Sure. Well, you can probably tell from my accent that I'm not originally from Scotland. Um, I was actually born and brought up in very rural Shropshire, actually not far from where from where Will is. Um, and obviously living in that part of the, of the country, uh, you're kind of immersed in rural life, um, didn't come from uh, farming background at all but we had horses growing up and you know it was very kind of engaged with the local rural community um, I then kind of moved away from from rural life a little bit and ended up going into teaching and I've been in the education sector in further and higher education for the last sort of 15 years or so um, but a few years ago I ended up getting what was probably a dream job as head of department at an agricultural college uh, down in down in West Sussex and uh, between myself and the brilliant farm manager uh, Dan Stamper who's very humble and would never like to be mentioned <laughs> in something as public as this I know um, Dan <laughs> I know Dan he's you, really sort of you know everyone well <laughs> I, oh, know really? Dan, I, spoke, I spoke to him on the phone the other day yeah, yeah. Dan's amazing so oh, great he is great guy <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, Dan managed the farm uh, and I managed all of the kind of education aspect. And we had about a thousand students, 500 acres of the estate that we were managing, um, dairy herd, um, a flock of Lynn ewes. And yeah, lots and lots going on as well as kind of as well as agriculture. There was horticulture, equine, uh, arboriculture, vet nursing, animal care, you name it, we did it. Um, and I was doing that for about just over three years. And I got the opportunity uh, to move to Scotland uh, with a promoted post in a, in a further education college. And it meant moving away from land-based, but moving up in terms of uh, a promotion. So uh, we kind of moved to Scotland, my husband and I, on the proviso that we would get some get a house with some land uh, because we were going to really miss being on the on the um, agricultural college estate. So we found uh, where we are now, How Mill, um, which has uh, just eighteen acres, but it's a beautiful beautiful corner of Aberdeenshire, right on the River Deverin. Um, and it's kind of on the edge of an area called the Cabrac, which is quite wild. Uh, and that then moves into the kind of Cairngorms. So it can be pretty, pretty hard going in winter. And my husband actually uh, ended up going to an event um, that was run by the Soil Association that introduced us to holistic management, which um, you might know about. And it's the work of Alan Savory and, and it's that kind of whole management framework. And we realised that in order to manage our little corner of Aberdeenshire, that we should probably get a couple of cows. So we got a couple of Shetland heifers and then that was it. We just got more and then <laughs> some more and just kept going, really. And, um, and I think, you know, the, 
knowing Dan uh, down south, he'd really introduced me to this idea of very low input farming. So within the college sector, there's never any money and the college farm needed to be profitable without mm. being propped up by, um, by the college kind of learning activities. So he was really into, you know, producing milk from forage, keeping costs down, feeding as little cake as possible. He was always out with his plate meter of a summer evening. So I kind of got it into my head, this idea of you know, pasture fed systems and, and kind of going low input. And so combining that with holistic management, it all started kind of slotting into place for us. And, um, and yeah, we, because we only own 18 acres that obviously, and most of that is on a bank and wooded. Uh, so it's quite kind of tricky. It's not, you know, it's, well, it's less favored area. It's not particularly mm. considered to be productive. And our neighbors, both neighbors on both sides, you have uh, kind of 150 acre farms each had small sheep flocks, but could see the benefit that cows were bringing to our land. Um, and sort of invited us to start working with them and that's just continued and we've had people um, coming to us asking for the, the service if you like the ecological engineering services of the WeMob um, and, uh, and that's just been brilliant and we then took on a tenancy um, a little while ago so about 10 months ago and it, it's not quite worked out as we hoped and it's not because of our landlords whose uh, who's kitchen I'm currently sitting in at the moment they're brilliant um, using their wi-fi uh, I think it's just it, it's in a different part you know it's two hours up the road from home and we've just realized we we really miss where we were and yeah. we were kind of on the hunt for secure land which is obviously a, a, an issue for, for new entrants and it's really taught us that actually taking risk is a good thing but it's not necessarily where we want to be but anyway mm. I'm going off on a tangent sorry <laughs> no I mean as as a new entrant how how have you found it and do you think the farming industry community does enough to a, attract new entrants into into farming also also support them encourage them and, and and if not what kind of things would have helped you and, and what would you like to see going forward yeah I, I love being a new entrant because I have got no idea what I should be doing uh no one sort of told me how I should be farming so I can just work it out for myself and and my husband and I love that you know there's no expectations mm. there's no family who have sort of said this is the way we've always done it there's there's no one sort of looking over our shoulder um there's you know there's also issues with that where you don't know what you're doing and you're having to rely on other people the the sector's really welcoming and open if you work hard and you put yourself out there looking for opportunities i don't think well it's like with anything it's not there there's not a door that just opens and allows people in and says come on into this sector it can feel mm. cliquey it can feel a scary place if you're not kind of middle class white um, privileged yeah. person you know it's not the most diverse sector so yeah. there's lots of things that don't make it a safe or welcoming place for people um, but there are opportunities and you know I've always said that agriculture has been the sector within which I've felt the most sexism and misogyny but it's also the sector I've been the most supported where people will drop everything and come and help you at you know five o'clock in the morning or whatever and and that it's the kind of you know two sides of the same coin where it's incredibly yeah. strong community, but there are times when it can feel quite uh, isolating. So I think that, you know, there are formal structures through in Scotland. We have the Farm Advisory Service who support new entrants through various mentoring schemes, but it's all quite conventional. So if you're going down quite a conventional farming route, there's probably a lot that would be helpful mm -hmm. for those of us in a kind of more agroecological, regenerative mindset, maybe less so. Um, but organisations like Nature Friendly Farming Network, um, Pasture for Life, Soil Association, Land Workers Alliance all do a great job in providing mentoring, connecting you with people, creating that community. So, 
yeah I, yeah, I think it's, you know, there's great things about it, but there's also some challenges. Yeah, I guess that's the importance of networks, isn't it? So, so tell us um, a bit, a bit more about your farm and system. Nick, you touched on it, but and your cattle and the wee mob. But I know you um, describe your approach as agro ecological. Yeah. But, but what, what does that, what does that mean to you, and how does it work in practice with with what you have here there with in terms of the cattle and the landscape, and how does it all tie together? Okay, so agroecology is basically um, describes an approach to food systems. So it's not just about farming, but it's it helps us to view the farm as an agro ecosystem. So we're thinking about ecological functioning, we're thinking about increasing biodiversity, but it also encompasses the ecology of that entire food system. So beyond the farm gate. So in practice, this means making management decisions that are based on um, biodiversity increases, soil health, thinking about ecological functioning. So we're not just thinking about how much can we produce from this land, we're thinking about all these other factors all of the time. And for us, that kind of boils down to three things. We want diversity, so lots of different things, mm -hmm. abundance, so a lot of those lots of different things, and we want to nourish people within our community. So that's producing really high quality beef, but also in nourishing people with experiences um, and with knowledge sharing and having, you know, and enjoying being on and around our farm. That management through an agroecological approach takes us beyond food production. It becomes much more about community and community dynamics. And by that, I mean, you know, the systems that exist on the farm, the natural systems on the farm. And I think sometimes I've heard people simplify agroecology to mean nature friendly farming, but I think that can be an oversimplification. It, it is quite complex and there's a lot of kind of uh, academic literature on it as a, as a, context, as a concept. Um, and some would say that agroecology has a science, which is the research bit, the practice, which is the things you'd find on agroecological farms, and then the movement, which is the kind of political aspect. So it can be, you can just kind of touch on the farm bit, or if you want, you can kind of expand that to be more political in how you approach your the food system. So it can kind of be as big or as small as you want it to be. It's a fascinating topic, and it's something I'm doing a PhD on at the moment and becoming completely mind blown on a daily <laughs> basis by all these things I'm learning. Wow, I, I really like that phrase, nourishing the community. I think that, that's yeah. really interesting. Um, you're also expanding the business this year and mm. um, taking on a huge expansion, taking on another 500 acres of grazing, yeah. um, which is obviously massively exciting. But what, what are your plans for this? Is, is it, will it be purely expanding on what you're already doing or does that give you uh, opportunity and a platform to further diversify the business? Yeah, we're really lucky because we're actually going to be working with an estate that are looking to rewild quite a lot of the land there. So we're going to be um, doing some kind of regenerative agriculture uh, led work there. But part of that is going to be as graziers. So with, with the cattle. So the wee mob will be less wee as we suddenly <laughs> realise we need to increase our numbers a fair bit. Um, but for us, it's about building some of the science into uh, this movement, this rewilding movement. So the estate that we're going to be working with um, are investing heavily in uh, baselining. So they want to look at what does the land look like now? What is the natural capital that exists there already? What's the soil doing? What are the animals here doing? What are the plants doing? And then by applying various management techniques or stepping away kind of management techniques, what are the changes that happen? So for us, it's really about developing that kind of underpinning 
base of knowledge and experience and um, data that can help help us to demonstrate whether this is a valid way of, of upland farming in the future or not. Um, we're, we're really lucky that we're working with a landowner who is so open-minded and progressive to this kind of approach mm. and who hasn't just decided to cover the place with trees in order to get kind of carbon credit funding, um, who actually has recognised that our species rich grasslands in the uplands are in serious decline um terrifying statistics about how how small the area of species rich grassland is going to be left in scotland by the end of the century so our work is primarily to see if we can bring back some of that species richness and using the cattle to do that for us as ecological engineers so we hope that there will be some sort of diversification in partnership with the estate probably around other food production so market gardening um, although I will not be involved in that because I don't do very well at growing veg but hopefully in collaboration with other people um, and the possibility uh, we have Shetland cattle which are dual purpose um, so possibly looking at milking some of those which I have been trying out this year a little bit um, and yeah it's really just about expanding that idea of nourishing people how how can we feed people as well as engage in the practice of rewilding in the uplands what does that look like so that we're not excluding people from landscapes, but we're rewilding people and the community at the same time? Um, OK, then let's expand more onto today's subject, which is agroforestry. Um, silver pasture, it's a really important part of your system and is only going to be more, more so going forward. Um, how did you first come across it as a concept and why does it fit in so well with what you're doing there both in terms of your livestock, but also the increased biodiversity benefits? Uh, we came across it totally by accident, and it was just because that's all we had. Um, I mentioned earlier that our, our land is primarily woodland on a bank. Um, so it was just a case of putting our initial two heifers into the woods when the weather got bad, because um, that seemed to make sense. And just when you first see um, a cow lift its head to eat leaves off a branch, you suddenly realise that cows should never be without trees. Like, it's just the most perfect scene. It just, yeah, they're obviously designed to do that. Um, and we're all very used to seeing cattle in fields of, you know, expanses of grass, but without necessarily having access um, to trees. And particularly in, in Scotland, hedges don't really feature up here. Um, it's not like in Shropshire, where I grew up, where there are hedges everywhere. You know, every field has hedges around it. It's just not like that here. So we started kind of investigating what agroforestry was. And I knew a little bit about um, forest gardens, but hadn't really known much about livestock integration. Um, and yeah, suddenly uh, we realised that there was this whole um, incredible sphere of, of livestock management that we'd never come across, but which made absolute sense. So our only available grazing was in woodland at one point, and we had no infrastructure. And so we'd, we'd bought hardy native cattle because we knew they were going to have to be outside all year round. But having woodland to serve as a, a natural barn just suddenly made sense. So silver pasture for us wasn't by design. So we've integrated cattle into existing woodland. Um, but Going forward, we're really excited to be planning much bigger silver pasture and designing it sort of from the ground up, which is quite exciting and taking what we've learned from being in the woods now into our design. Brilliant. And just, just playing devil's advocate a bit, if, um, if, if agroforestry is, is such a no-brainer and that there are so many 
benefits to it why aren't more farmers doing it and 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 what do you think needs to happen to make more farmers look at it seriously well it's a real paradigm shift you know the the green revolution happened after the second world war and it really gave a production focused drive to all farming activity in the uk well globally really Hmm. um so suddenly sort of saying take that land that you've been productive on in the way that we as policymakers have been telling you to do so for so many years and now do something different is it's a real um about turn yeah. you know that's a hard yeah. thing for people just to go well, hang on you've been telling us this and now you're telling yeah, something different absolutely it, it really i mean to interrupt i'm going to use my dad as an example here. my dad is nearly 70 um and yeah his entire life has been about production yield and and we have these conversations my dad is very open-minded he's not he's not at all one of these kind of farmers who is you know no we've always done it this way and we must yeah. he's not he's not like that at all but it, it is still you're right it's very hard for him i've been farming his entire career and being born in the sort of early 50s just after the second world war being influenced by his dad it is really hard for a lot of farmers to get there yeah. to get yeah. their head around that shift isn't it and I'm sorry I, I didn't mean to interrupt but it's just I do, I do think that's quite interesting that mindset switch yeah and I'm sure yeah, we'll get there but it is difficult isn't it yeah you're so right and I like I because I was saying before I come from an education background and I used to teach um so I'm going off on a tangent here but I used to <laughs> teach um young lads who were doing construction courses you know they wanted to be brickies and plasterers mm. and I got the wonderful job of teaching them maths and English which they didn't do very well at at school and when they would come into the classroom my first thing would be um you know welcome to the classroom in this room uh, you're always welcome but you have to take your hats off and hoods down and that was just my rule that you had to take your hat off and have your hood down and these were teenage lads who were 16 years old and for 16 years they'd been able just to kind of always wear what they wanted and no one had set them rules like that before and that was a really difficult shift so if you if you take a 16-year-old lad who's been asked to take his hat off, which is quite a simple thing, asking a 70-year-old farmer who has spent 70 years being paid and reinforced mm. by telling yep. and policy yep. that this thing over here is right, mm. asking that person to then change because the world's changing and we all need to act quickly in response to a climate emergency, which is here and upon us, um, that that's just, it, it's beyond just asking someone to do something a bit differently. That's yeah. a whole paradigm shift in who I am as a farmer, how I identify as a person. So, you know, I could say that there are barriers around, you know, there's no appropriate schemes, which there aren't. And there's no, you know, there's limited advisor knowledge, which is the case. And the work of the Woodland Trust is phenomenal because they're just kind of cracking on and helping farmers all across the UK. Uh, but really this is so much deeper than kind of making sure that the right scheme exists and there's research out there that says you know it's not just about saying hey hey farmer here's some money for doing the right thing like farmers aren't stupid they're really intelligent and empathetic individuals who have multiple complex motivations for what they do so just paying someone to do something a bit different isn't going to work you know there needs to be far more um work done to help people engage with seeing other people who've done it right or wrong or where where the mistakes are and learning from other people's mistakes it's much bigger than just saying here's a scheme that's going to help you to change what you're doing so what kind of um benefits are you seeing in terms of biodiversity there as a result of your practices and the way you farm i mean i i I would imagine because of the way you do it must be bursting with life and i mean have you seen any improvements since you first started yeah, definitely. So having the, the trees is a big part of the system, obviously, just if you've got 
two acres of grassland and you put trees on it well that just by the nature of there being trees there suddenly yeah. that you know the biodiversity increases but yeah. trees are incredible in terms of what they can support in terms of life so whether that's a whole host of different insects so pollinators which are just buzzing when you walk through you know under the tree canopy in the in the spring and you can just hear it's alive with different different insects and they're obviously feeding with different birds and we are also seeing because of the way that we manage the grassland in the woodland and around the woodland we tall grass graze so we have quite tall covers which is brilliant habitat for voles and that suddenly means that our um, birds of prey numbers our owls mm -hmm. are going up yep. kestrels etc we've got uh, an osprey that comes and lives along our bit of river oh, in wow. the summer as well which is Jealous. incredible um Wow. And the trees, obviously, also uh, older trees are brilliant habitat for bats. We have red squirrels as well. And the trees on our bit of land are now just old enough that they're able to support squirrels as well. Uh, the red squirrels, uh, pine martins. So there's so much life. Um, we also kind of design the farm in a way that enables uh, animals to move around. So we have permeable uh, external sort of perimeter fences. So they're not stock, it's not stock fencing, it's a uh, kind of multiple wires um, because deer and hares, et cetera, can get through those. So it just means that rather than getting trapped in our on our land, they can actually get through and move across the countryside more easily. So we do see, um, for example, where we've put in scrapes like pond scrapes, that particularly when it's really, really cold in the winter, we went down to minus 20 for a week last winter, um, that that bit of water in the pond scrape was still running. Um, and we could see all the different footprints of the different animals that were moving through our land to then get to the water. So, yeah, it's it's incredible how much life is there. And that definitely I think the woodland plays a really, really big part in that. Amazing. Specifically with the agroforestry, but perhaps just with your approach generally, uh, what sort of reactions slash conversations do you have with both your neighbours, neighbouring farmers, landowners, but, but also maybe people further afield as well? Well, our neighbours love it because they are now our, you know, we're graziers for them. So that seems yeah. to be working quite well. Um, and the estate we're working with is across the river. So we've got this kind of group of us locally that are all kind of on the same page, I'd say. Right. Um, there are definitely more conventional folk who probably just uh, laugh a bit. and But in a kind of jolly, like, <laughs> supportive way, <laughs> as opposed to just like flat out laughing at us. Um but I think because we can explain what we're doing and yep. bottom line is we're profitable. I yep. mean, we're not, yep. we're, and we, we operate outside subsidy. So we're profitable mm. without subsidy. Yep. Um, and even if that doesn't mean that we're paying a living wage to either of us because of our scale that, you know, we, there's only so many animals we can produce on the amount of land that we have. Um, but it's profitable, you know, it's not making a loss. So for me, that, that kind of is um is the key is the key thing there and as well as being financially profitable the biodiversity gains um you know we're seeing yellow rattle flowering places it's not been seen before we're we're seeing orchids coming up in areas where no one knew that there were orchids so all of those things kind of speak for themselves um and we can kind of get away with it as being uh, english new entrants in our little area. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you currently aren't in any environmental schemes um, uh, with several previous Scottish guests on the podcast um, have, have spoken to us about the accessibility of, of schemes. Um, but would you like to be? Um, and if so, what would you like to see supported specifically by a Scottish government in this regard? Obviously, the whole system is being shaken up at the moment. 
Yeah, um, I, we're, we're not interested in being in schemes or having to be beholden to any kind of uh, subsidy system. Um, we've been operating outside of it now for nearly four years and we're quite happy because of the amount of autonomy it gives us. Um, and I think if you can if you can run a business successfully without being supported in that way, then it, you know, it's more resilient. Um, but I totally recognize that for thousands of people, it's a key part of their income. Um, and I think that what needs to happen and this, you know, the work's being done in Scotland around this, which is looking at outcome based approaches. So prescriptive schemes that say this is what you should do and when you should do it, that are the same across Scotland, depend, regardless of whether you're in upland highlands or, you know, kind of sunny Fife, just don't seem to make sense. So what we really need are schemes that give autonomy to farmers and and also kind of respect the intelligence of farmers so that farmers are able to look at their land make management decisions do that in collaboration probably with an advisor and then come up with a management plan that that leads to the desired outcomes and it isn't about practices but is about what you want to see as a result of those uh, management approaches so I think that that would be great to see and you know Nature Scott are working on that um, piloting of an outcomes-based approach and we'll look forward to seeing the outcome of that probably in the next few months I think. So can I ask you a bit about social media um, and, and telling your farming story because you are um, a really really good communicator on that and I would urge people listening to seek you out on on twitter and instagram and as a as a first generation farmer and a new entrant who perhaps well you wouldn't have had those kind of long-term contacts that sort of me and ben would have had as sort of multi-generational family farm has that helped you in terms of making connections networks finding similarly like-minded people yeah massively um twitter has just opened so many doors um and number of farmers that i've been in touch with and said oh i'm going to be passing your farm in three weeks can i pop in and they always say yes uh you know people are always up for having a chat and mm -hmm. um you know if you take take some biscuits then you normally, <laughs> you normally come away with a leg of lamb or something it's brilliant but um yeah i think i think social media is Fantastic. And I was having this conversation with my husband yesterday. We've got some friends who've decided to come off Twitter. They've just found it a really negative place to be. But I think it is what you make of it. And uh, if you want to engage with with angry people who have got a lot of foot stamping to do, then it's going to be a difficult place. You can kind of curate your timeline. You can block people. You can mute certain words. Um, and you can choose to be positive. And I think I've learned that. You know, there's been times where I've waded into something and I've probably... Um, not thought about it enough and I've said things that uh, maybe haven't been helpful but it's always about learning yeah. and and I think what I love about Twitter is it gives me an opportunity to raise other people up and and showcase the stuff that incredible farmers that I get to go and see through my work um, you know showcase what they're doing and really raise the profile of other people who are doing things quietly behind their farm gate and not telling other people about it um, and I guess you know I'm a teacher at heart so, so for me, teaching isn't about standing at the front and having all the knowledge and being the expert. It's about creating space for discussion and dialogue. Um, and I think that social media is just incredible at being able to facilitate that. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, I mean, presumably getting involved with NFFN has, has also helped in that regard too. Yeah, well, I started um, being involved with NFFN in Scotland um, a couple of years ago and actually was doing some work for them as the sustainable farming lead just a day a week um, and that was great because it meant that I got to meet all of the uh, brilliant steering group 
um, and got to go and talk to farmers and get out on different farms. And that really helped kind of develop my kind of networks more locally, I guess. A lot of my farming connections are probably in England, really. Uh, so it's been really great through the NFFN and also Pasture for Life to build those connections in Scotland. Um, and yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, a great, it's a great way and a great uh, medium, I guess, for, for engaging with other folk being, being a member of the organisation. It's time for that that famous question that um, everyone dreads about the future, thinking about where, where you're going. Um, but what what does the future hold for you? Do you reckon? Um, where would you like to be with your grazing and farming in 10, 20 years time? Uh, well, prime the primary thing on my mind at the moment is hopefully I'll be Doctor Yoxall by then. Yeah. But who knows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think- got a nice ring to it. Yeah, it sounds good, doesn't it? It does. Um, <laughs> uh, I think in the future, we want to be able to prove that what we're doing isn't just something that we can do at a small scale, that it is bigger. You know, you asked about what other farmers think of us and, and quite often people are really positive, but there's always this caveat of, oh, but you're doing it on such a small scale and it's, mm. not, it's not a real job. So being able to scale up and kind of, you know, what we've been doing is proof of concept. Now what we want to do going forward is demonstrate that that is something that you can do on a bigger scale you can operate in a way that is positive for uh profit you know it's profitable it's positive for people and it's positive for the planet and it engages with people locally and you don't have to always go with the flow you can find a way of of disrupting that or taking a different turn and doing something a bit differently and rewilding is coming in scotland in the uplands whether we want it or not whether we like it or not and for me it's important that as a farmer, I engage with those people who are looking to um, establish rewilding estates and explore ways that they can be more compatible with food production, which kind of agroecology does. So that's that's my aim, I guess, for the future is, is to continue to work with people both practically and potentially in an advisory capacity to show that it that there is that there is a future in that. Cool. And finally, Nikki, we're asking every guest in this series this question and everyone gives us a slightly different answer what does rethink farming mean to you it's all about mindset i think um and being open to being challenged and feeling uncomfortable and recognizing that it will those crunchy moments of oh this isn't i'm not sure about this um when you suddenly then kind of think, oh, maybe we, we could do something a bit different and we could, we could go down this route instead. So, so for me, that's what we think farming is. It's being comfortable with the difficult choices that we're inevitably all going to have to make because let's face it, the world is on fire. And we, <laughs> you know, there's not a huge amount we can do about it in yeah. our own little lives. So if we can just slightly change the way that we're thinking about farming to do everything we can in our uh, in our little spheres of influence, then then yeah, that's that's what I think uh, we could be aiming for. Yeah, that's a great answer, and that makes me yes. feel better because I, I feel that way all the time. <laughs> it's yeah. overwhelming, isn't it? You know, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's we, it's a we get told time. as farmers that we've got to feed the world, um, and by the way, whilst you're feeding the world, if you could just stop climate change, and <laughs> and whilst you're doing that, if you could just address biodiversity loss yep. as well, that would be exactly. great. But yeah. we're not really going to support you to do that in any meaningful mm. way. Um, so we just have to. There's this brilliant uh, writer who uh, I can't remember her last Mar- Margaret somebody, and she talks about creating islands of sanity. So if we all just create oh. our own islands of sanity, I like that. then yeah, we'll be fine. I like that. Yeah. 
I think we'll leave it there on that point. Mm. Um, but thank you so much, Nikki, for coming on the show. Um, it's been fascinating hearing about everything that you've got going on. And yeah, generally really excited to see wh- where you go over the next few years because yeah, the, the, the industry is much stronger having you in it for sure. Oh, um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for listening um, and please do spread the word and subscribe to the podcast um, we are loving doing this series and uh, it's always great to speak to um, more NWFN members we will see you next time um, when we'll be talking about farming for nature across the wider landscape connecting different farms across the wider landscape and we'll be joined by FWAG's Jenny Phelps um, who is based down in the Cotswolds um, so we're heading there then until then though thank you very much for listening and have a great week ahead <laughs>